And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most urgent topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 158th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 588th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, February 20th, 2020. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's Banner Moment occurred after Indiana's victory over Minnesota on Wednesday night when Archie Miller was asked about how he had adjusted his team's ball screen coverage for the Golden Gophers. Archie said, quote, the adjustment was to not get as extended on their system and what they do. Our system wasn't able to be executed on Sunday against Michigan, and our guys lost confidence, unquote. Well, the adjustment seemed to work. Indiana was much better in defending ball screens on Wednesday night. And yes, it's important to note that Minnesota is just okay in ball screen execution. Michigan, by contrast, is among the nation's best, so some improvement was to be expected anyway. And yes, some of the improved defense was due to personnel, with Race Thompson playing 25 minutes to Joey Bronx 8. But the reason this quote stuck out to me is because of the important lesson it seems to imply that Archie Miller has learned about his team. This particular team, anyway. I'll repeat the key line from the quote. Our system wasn't able to be executed on Sunday against Michigan, and our guys lost confidence. Our guys lost confidence. Now, some groups of players might be able to experience some defensive breakdowns on the road, fight through them, and get the ship righted. Not this Indiana team. We've seen it repeatedly. Things start to go bad, their confidence in what they're doing drops, and the game is over in what feels like a matter of minutes. That has to be both infuriating and frustrating for a tough-minded, defense-first coach like Archie, who has such a strong and stubborn commitment to his principles. But after Sunday's debacle in Ann Arbor, it was clear that stubbornness wasn't going to help this group of Hoosiers get the most out of their season. And so Archie adjusted, and it worked. His team got off to a slow start defensively, but believed in what they were doing and ultimately turned in a strong defensive performance en route to an important road victory. Was it a one-off adjustment due to matchup? Was it something we'll see moving forward? Time will tell. But it seemed like this team needed a change on the defensive end, and Archie gave it to them, and it might have come just in time to save Indiana's season. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show to my left. He is the Kevin Keats of Girls U Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and the world's most fun-loving bracketologist. Still have fun, fun, fun. fun. Andy, what is your bottom line on the last week in Indiana basketball? I'm hoping to rebound uh, from an audio perspective from the abject failure that was last night. So you're doing good uh, so far. I noticed that you did have Kevin Stallings in initially during the thing, which I thought was a not so veiled shot at uh, at how things went last night. But I appreciate you going with. I rethought it because that seemed really mean. (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, I did see it, so it still hurt. But um, the. yeah, the Kevin Keats, the recipient of the blow by Coach K handshake at the end of the uh, blowout loss last night. So that's always a good time. Uh, from from my perspective this year, 
or this time of year for me, everything tends to revolve around bracketology and that uh, from an IU perspective is, is a big thing that people have on their mind. So uh, for, for me, it's, you look back at, if you count, you know, last night they played three games in seven days and what a weird uh, three games those were with the, the big one over Iowa calmed everybody's fears those fears resurfaced again against Michigan. And then last night uh, gave everybody at least a little, uh, a little piece showed the team could win on the road and, and picked up a big road win, which matters a, a whole lot for bracketology purposes. So uh, all in all, I, I think if you had set out on those three games and said, I, you would be two and one, you'd have felt pretty good about it. I think that's in large part how I feel about the season. I keep looking back at the sheet where I went through and predicted wins and losses. And I, I think as of the last time I did it, I, I didn't get every game right, but I was dead on what I had. But this team just has a way of playing so far up and so far down that it makes things seem so much worse than they might actually be. Uh, and that every single result is is such a pendulum swing from the one before that it makes you feel like the sky is falling uh, one minute and that everything is great the next. And uh, hopefully what you mentioned that are in Archie, in terms of Archie making some of those adjustments will maybe provide some stability for this team, stability from a confidence perspective. And, uh, you know, time will tell. They've, they've reached the point they've got more home games and road games left uh, at this stage of things. And, and the one on Sunday against Penn State is absolutely huge uh, at this point. I really feel like if they can get that one, uh, th- they should really feel some confidence heading into those final four games of the uh, of the season and have a good chance to end up at 10 and 10 in the Big Ten, which I think most people would have taken at the beginning of the year. But uh, if this team has taught us anything and really – the teams from the last couple of years, it's that you can't uh, take anything for granted or get too excited that this team may have turned the corner because uh, they're, they're waiting to smack you in the face with uh, the reality that that may not have actually happened going forward. So for now, revel in the win at the barn and uh, think good thoughts for Sunday. And to my right, he's a senior writer for the big lead, Race Thompson's official West Coast hype man and someone who always waits his turn to talk. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle he hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, Let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. Ryan, what is your rant on the last week in IU basketball? Pretty big win last night. Uh, I mean, that's, that's really all you can say is that this is a an opportunity for Indiana to step up and, and win a road game. And I think we all kind of said it beforehand. If you're looking at the other road games, this team has left, this is the one you got to get. And, and it's a struggling Minnesota team and they were able to go in there and do it. And the way they did it was with defense and with playing through the post, which is exactly what this team is supposed to do. And I rewatched the game today. And the one difference that I saw from previous games and previous road games specifically is that when the offense broke down and when things got strained or, or weren't working, they defaulted to throwing it into the post and wound up scoring a lot that way. And even if you don't score, you get a foul, you put pressure on the defense, maybe you get an open shooter. It winds up building to a positive instead of just passing around the perimeter and not, you know, and then, and then rushing a shot at the end. So the default setting for this team when things broke down was the right one, which is get it to your best player in the post. And Trace Jackson Davis showed that he could take care of business all night. And and so, I mean, rightfully, we're talking about him today, but we also need to give credit to the people who continually, the guys who continually kept feeding him in the post and getting him the ball in situations where he could succeed. So I thought that was the biggest takeaway when I rewatched this game is that when things were not necessarily easy offensively, they went to the default positive option which is get the ball in the paint which is what they've 
has supposed to have been the plan all year. And it felt like they finally, even though you had a good post player defending him in Oturu, they went to him and they, they, they attacked using that default setting and it worked for them. And they were able to get to the line. They were able to cause some foul trouble. And then they were able to get some kickouts and drives through that. And you just saw Trace Jackson Davis take the game over. If your default setting isn't give your best player the basketball, there's a problem. And, and they, they prove Wednesday night why that should always be what they lean back on when things aren't going perfectly. And then defensively, I'm sure we'll talk about it tonight. The defense was fantastic, particularly in the second half. I thought everybody stepped up across the board. There were some misses uh, from the big guys and the, the screen defense and rolling back to their guys. But in general, I thought everybody played really well defensively and played, you know, a whole step better than they did against Michigan and even better at some points than they did against Iowa. You know, it was you you have a terrible performance that can sometimes linger and get you questioning yourself. I thought everybody stepped back up and and I was impressed by that, particularly with what the guards did. And uh, so I was impressed uh, with with both ends of the court that they went back to being who they're supposed to be as opposed to trying to be something they're not. You know, I would say also you make a really good point about feeding the post, and that is on the guards, but it's also on Trace too. He got great uh, and, position. And he all was night. really feeling himself. <laughs> you know, like he was he he got confident, which hasn't always happened for him on the road. And the fact that he was, you know, was giving him a great target, and, you know, that was obviously a a big part of it too. Um, so yeah. Uh, all right, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We will look ahead to IU Penn State, which is coming up on Sunday. We'll talk about a few things that need to happen for Indiana to not just make the tournament, but to actually make some noise. Uh, and then we will answer your questions. Got a whole bunch of questions, so we will answer those. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. Before we get to all of that, uh, just a quick reminder about tickets. If you are looking for tickets to IU basketball games for the remainder of this season, and of course there are still three home games, Indiana plays Penn State, Minnesota, and Wisconsin at home, uh, SeatGeek is the place to look. And if you want to get tickets for the road games, Indiana plays Illinois and Purdue on the road, you'll be able to find those tickets at SeatGeek as well. SeatGeek delivers the best ticket buying experience with their website and their app. And they will also help you identify the best ticket value so that you can get the best possible seat for your money. And best of all, you get $10 off your first purchase with the promo code ASSEMBLY. So use the URL iutickets.shop because that will take you directly to the IU basketball ticket listing on SeatGeek. It's iutickets.shop. And then use the promo code ASSEMBLY when you purchase and you will get $10 off. So promo code ASSEMBLY at SeatGeek for $10 off. All right, guys. So let's look ahead real quick to this game against Penn State. You know, Andy, as you said, it's a really important opportunity for Indiana to get, you know, a win over a team that, you know, before they lost to Illinois, uh, was that on Tuesday, you know, people were talking about them as a potential number two seed, a Pat Chambers coach team as a potential number two seed in the NCAA tournament, because that's just the kind of college basketball season that we're having. So, you know, it's easy to remember how poorly that game went in the second half for Indiana, and they ended up losing 64-49. to 49. Two things that are really important to remember about how that game went that should absolutely be different. One, obviously, well, I mean, Indiana's at home, so that obviously makes a big difference. But Jerome and Race did not play in that game. And those were huge absences for Indiana, you know, given how, how much of an impact they make. Demise Anderson played 16 minutes in that game because of those absences. And Indiana's guards, as a group, were awful. You know, in a season of bad guard play, all four of them were bad. Usually at least one or two of them, you know, deliver something. 
Indiana got nothing from any of those guys. And so you would think just by virtue of being home where the guards usually play better and having race and Jerome back and them at home where they usually play better. I think there's a lot to like about this matchup for Indiana. Um, Now Penn state's pretty good. They've obviously been playing very well, um, but it's a game Indiana needs to get. uh, And I think with those guys back, it's a game that they should get. Uh, yeah, I just went back and looked at the box score. Uh, the guards were combined, I believe, three of 26, if I'm doing the, the quick math correctly. So even perhaps worse than I remembered. Uh, I think I think the points about Jerome and Race are, are really important. That was uh, on the heels of, of when Race had come out, played really well, and you know started to build some momentum, and he really struggled. And then Jerome, I, that was, I feel like that was in the stretch where he had... Uh, started to assert himself a bit better. That was right after the Maryland game where he had had arguably uh, his best game as a Hoosier and then ended up uh, being ill and not being able to play. So I do think those are important. Those are guys that uh, we talked about last night are really earning more minutes as key bench guys at at this point. Um, Race to the point where I'm sure people are clamoring for him to start. That seems uh, unlikely, but I think if he plays anywhere close to the minutes that he played last night, that's a positive sign for IU. So uh, you, you like IU at home. I, I think winning uh, the game against Minnesota should hopefully give some confidence and uh, hopefully get fan support back to, you know, get people there. It's the, uh, the Ryan Phillips special noon tip on a Sunday, no less. So oh, my favorite. Uh, even, even maybe even worse than uh, maybe even worse than normal. But um, so that will, that will be a challenge, but I, I I'd like to think that, um, you know, race in particular can help inside. Uh, I, I thought they really struggled with Mike Watkins. That was, um, I felt like, you know, he ended up making six free throws and, and didn't shoot well from the floor, but he was uh, really active, drew six fouls. If, if this box where I'm looking at is correct, I thought he was really impactful. And I think he's the, you know, athletic guy that, that Brunk has had some trouble with lately. So I think if you get race in there, um, you're able to do some different things defensively. So I think his presence uh, will be big. And then just Jerome, another guy to be able to, to shoot. And uh, I, I thought he played really hard. Um, didn't necessarily manifest itself in a lot of stats against Minnesota, but he cut really hard, uh, was really attentive on defense in the time that he was on the floor. So I he do also think- feeds the post consistently. Like he looks to feed the post every time he's out there and can cut off of that too, as much as anybody, I think. Yeah, the the other somewhat injury related thing, and I I tried before we got on here to really get a read on this, but uh, Myron Jones of Penn State has missed the last, I believe, three games due to an illness uh, of some kind. He was actually had the best plus minus of anybody on Penn State, despite the fact they only scored five points. He was plus twenty one uh, in that game, so I have not, I was unable to really find anything about whether or not he would play. But he's a guy that's been able to shoot it. Uh, relatively well for Penn State, so would uh, he's shooting over forty one percent from three. So, depending upon what his status might be, um, that's a, another potentially important factor, at least. Yeah, um, Ryan, do you have any thoughts on the Penn State game? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's one of those things where we were tied with Penn State at the half, and then just got run out of the gym in the second half, and just got outworked, and that can't happen, especially at home. So let's. You know, this is something where these guys need to do what they did against Minnesota, and they were trailing going into halftime, and they just hammered them in the second half. I think what was it, forty to twenty-five in the second half against against Minnesota? They, I mean, and they've wilted previously on the road in the second half. So that showing that you can do that on the road, you should definitely be able to do that at home. You should definitely be able to outplay your opponent in the second half at home. In you know, a, a situation where you you know the court, you know the stands, you know you're feeling comfortable. 
it, it should be something where they can they can outlast teams at home. That hasn't necessarily always been the case. I mean, Purdue roughed them up, and and they really didn't rise to the occasion there. But they did play well against Iowa. So hopefully, it's the it's 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 a different story at home than it was on the road against Penn State because I think that the matchup with Penn State isn't isn't terrible. I think no. it's a pretty decent matchup for Indiana. It's just a matter of executing and getting it done. And Penn State's a good team, has been playing very well this year, but I think that Indiana has an advantage in the matchup, especially being fully healthy. And it's a big opportunity for probably Justin Smith and Race Thompson to guard Lamar Stevens and really try to shut him down. He wasn't yeah, overly efficient. He was 7 of 21 no, in that first game. He, but they drew, a done ton of, the, he drew a ton of fouls, too. Yes, and they could have done a better job on him. And I think having race that you can put on him every now and then is going to help. Um, you know, but Justin tends to defend better at home. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, it's kind of a theme. All our guys end up playing better at home. Um, but I think he's got to do a better job on Stevens than he did uh, up in Happy Valley as well. Yeah, the fou- the fouls were interesting. Not only did Penn State draw a, a bunch of fouls on IU, that was one of IU's lowest. Uh, outputs in terms of getting the free throw line only 10 times on 57 field goal attempts. And I only took 11 threes in the game. And as you look down the stats from a conference perspective, Penn State, uh, you know, IU is still first in free throw rate and Penn State is 14th. So kind of an outlier in a lot of ways. IU didn't settle for a ton of threes. They certainly didn't play well, but they didn't get to the line a lot. I think that was around that series of games where Archie would allude to some of the officiating of in terms of like, yeah, I'm not sure why we're not going to the line. And uh, no, different I mean, things I like mean, that. So if they can reverse some of those trends, I think that that's a definite positive for IU. Trace Jackson Davis got hammered in that game and didn't get any calls. We talked about it on at the air afterwards. I mean, that wasn't why they lost the game. It just didn't help things. Uh, they didn't lose the game because the effort in the second half just completely waned. Uh, but Trace Jackson Davis got mugged in that game. And and so did uh, so did Joey Bronk at times. And it just it, you know, it didn't work in their favor in that one. They're playing at Penn State. Hopefully that turns around this time. And especially after Trace Jackson Davis's game last night uh, against Minnesota, hopefully that turns around and people start to recognize a little bit more that this guy's hard to guard. And when you see something uh, that looks like a foul, it probably is a foul. <laughs> on that note, since I wasn't on the post-game show last night, can we just take a moment to appreciate the Big Ten refs and their call on Al Durham tripping over his own feet Dude. last night. And he, they did that twice. <laughs> One time he drove with his left hand and his feet came out from Al needs to do something. Just karma for Al. How many times has he gotten yeah. hammered where he, he didn't get called and that's, and that's what they give him? I, w- I wasn't does, upset. I was not upset. Al does lose his footing more than any player I've ever and seen. And it, it looks, it, it kind of looked awkward. It's like, wait, he couldn't have done that by himself. Yeah, like he had his feet. <laughs> he's, on a, he's on a basketball floor with tennis shoes. His feet could not have just gone out from under him but no he he needs to i don't know what's going on maybe they need to put some extra grip on his on his shoes but he falls down a lot where he just he cuts hard and his feet just go out from under him oh man okay uh coming up now that we are feeling a little better about indiana's ncaa tournament chances after getting a road win let's talk about a few important things that need to happen for indiana to not just make the tournament but actually have a shot at doing some damage if and when they get there stick with us here on the assembly call Hey, this is Max Bielfeld, Big Ten champ and better than advertised sixth man of the year in 2016. And speaking of better than advertised, join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the assembly call 
after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. Thank you, Max. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob chat mobbers. during our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays and see all the between-segment banter, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy... Uh, Andy Bot. <laughs> I have it written on the script as Andy Phillips. <laughs> Anyway, I'm the here with the two of us are not related, just <laughs> FYI. I am I, one of us is I being am, replaced by someone new though. That's the lesson. Just a matter of who. I am Ron Burgundy. Uh just put it on the sheet and I'll read it. By the way, Ryan, did I tell you when uh when I did that cameo with Max? I sent him a Twitter direct message just because I like I wanted to just kind of like prep him when I sent it. I was like, hey, you know, so back when you were a player, we kind of had this whole bit about you being better than advertised. And so I'm going to send you these cameos. And that's what I mean by the better than advertised. He's like, oh, yeah, man. He's like, I remember back when I was playing. He was like, I was really enjoyed that. I was like, oh, all right. That's kind of cool. Uh, appreciate glad that, that it got through the ether to him <laughs> yeah. he was certainly better than ever he was absolutely better than advertised uh okay so i just wanted to have a little fun uh with this conversation here and you know basically we're feeling better about indiana possibly going to the ncaa tournament still have work to do so not taking it for granted at all but you know what are some things that we think are both important and realistic Right, so we can't say like Devonte Green becoming a consistent scorer because let's face it, that's not really realistic at this point. It's important, but it's not realistic. So, some important realistic things that have to happen down the stretch for Indiana to not just make the tournament, but to also have a shot at winning a game or two if they get in. Okay, so I'll go through uh, my three, and then you guys can you know uh, counter Riff them off of that. Yeah, say others that you think are more important. So here are the three that I have. Number one is Rob Finnessy has to go from being a below-average Big Ten point guard, and by every metric and by the eye test, Rob has been that. We love Rob, but that's just been what he has been this season is a below-average Big Ten point guard. He's got to go from that to being an average Big Ten point guard. I don't think he needs to make a major jump, but he's got to be someone that you would consider an average Big Ten point guard. That's number one. I think it's the single most important thing that needs to happen for this team down the stretch. Number two... Uh, I think. That, let me just let's just go one by one. Though. Sure, go for I mean, it. Let's let's give it. Let us get a response to this. I I completely agree. That's that would be one of my three uh, uh, making a list. Would be Rob Finnessy improving and, and and getting to the level. Not he doesn't even have to get to the level we think he can get to. He needs to get to a replacement level level. You know, for another uh, as you said, Big Ten point guard in the league. I he's got to be able to knock down consistently, knock down one or two threes in the game. He's got to be able to drive and get to the hoop and. On top of that, give the defense we know he's capable of giving. Who is the most average point guard in the Big Ten? Like Demetric Trice? Would that? I don't know. Yeah, there's, you know some, there's some good ones. Point guard? There, yeah, there's some good ones. There, I mean, I mean there's, some, down, there's some really good ones. I'm, I was just trying to think of a name. You know, like, okay, below average would be the lacrosse guy from Northwestern, right? Like, <laughs> he didn't look below average against IU. You know, seriously. That's, well, the, talking okay. about. that's the challenge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a fair question. Anyway, like, we can. One of the Ohio State we'll, guys. We'll, d- we'll discover that at some other point. But I think I, I think know. that Rob Rob stepping up is, is it would be on my list of three for sure. I don't know if it would be number one, but it'd be on my list of three. Uh, yeah, I was going to say I had on my list was just improved guard play in general. I, I really yeah. thought, while nobody stood out last night necessarily, I thought in the aggregate they produced a pretty good stat line. They took, good, they took reasonably good care of the basketball, only 10 turnovers overall. Um, I think six of those came from the – 
Six of those came from the guards. Uh, so I thought that was decent. I mean, you look again, you look back at that Penn State game, you look no further than that. I mean, 18 turnovers led to 20 some uh, Penn State points. So I, I think while it would be great if one of those guys really emerged, I thought they all complemented each other relatively well. And even Devontae in the second half, I thought a couple of the first half shots were uh, were questionable. We talked about the hustle play of, of him you know, throwing the ball away and not really getting back on defense. But I thought in the second half, he was pretty under control, didn't force things much, uh, did have that one layup that he, he missed and Trace cleaned up uh, in the lane. But I just think if you can get a bit more consistency out of those guys uh, and, and get some kind of, I don't know what the number is. It'd be it'd be good to kind of look back over the course of the season and say, hey, when they as a group hit certain thresholds, what have they done? But I thought last night was a decent performance in that regard. And so if they can carry that over and complement each other well, I think that's a, a good one. So Rob is definitely a part of that. Mine was just a little bit more vague, I guess. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, we all agree there. The guard play definitely has to get better. And Rob is it'd be nice to have one guy that you can count on, you know, as a playmaker and a guy to take care of the ball. Um, and so to me, Rob's that guy. So that's number one. Number two, I guarantee we're all going to agree with this. And it was almost too obvious to put on there. And yet you look at the numbers and it's like, let's not take this for granted. Number two is Race Thompson needs to play 20 plus minutes a game. Like he needs to be one of the top five minutes guys on this team. And that seems obvious after the last couple of games. But keep in mind, he's only done it three times all season long. He's played but 20 two more minutes in the last three games. Yes. So. Against Minnesota, Iowa, and then way back in the Princeton game. And obviously, you know, Indiana's playing a little bit of a different style earlier. He's had injuries. Although I will say, folks who were listening to the show back in November remember us talking about how Indiana seemed to play the best when Trace and Race were on the court at the same time. We were talking about that back in November. Who brought that up and first? It might, I think he's on the show tonight. I, I don't know. I mean, we all, we all know. I know. We all agreed, but. Yeah, I I've been, I've been just harping. let Ryan take his victory lap on it. Whether it was Would really him or not, just let it go. Because he's gonna, go. he's this. gonna, he's gonna insist that it was him. So there's just no, no really I, reason. I brought to... that up, and and I, I do remember bringing that up, and you guys agreed fully that they looked like the best post duo, uh, mostly because they can switch, they can guard on the perimeter, they can move really well on defense, sort of in every, you know, on every third of the court. And then offensively, they play off each other. Race has made some really nice passes this year when he hasn't. And now you're seeing him start to make shots and, and start to you know score in different ways around the hoop. And he made all three of his free throws against Minnesota, and his shot looked really good. I, I think that he's made threes this year. I don't think that that's something we're going to you know rely on, but I'm certainly okay with him taking one a game because he's made them. Uh, but he's a versatile guy, and he's a versatile guy who, quite frankly, we've said it before, is a difference maker. Indiana's better when he's on the floor, so I agree with you. He needs to play more. Um, I don't know if he needs to start. There were a lot of people clamoring for him to start after the last game. I don't think that's going to happen uh, just because Bronk is the veteran leader who probably his attitude sets a tone in practice and all that stuff, and he's getting rewarded for that. But race needs to play a lot down the stretch, and I think there's another guy who needs to play a lot down the stretch. We'll get to that sort of in your next uh, one, I believe, Jared. But I, I think that's inarguable that the more race Thompson plays, the better it is for Indiana. Yeah, I had I had that one on my list as well. I think that's relatively obvious. Are you undefeated when race scores at least five points in, in the game? Uh, I think it's, it may have only happened seven times, but that's neither here Big nor there. Big 10 stat of the day. Um, and so, undefeated yeah. when, uh, when TJD gets a double-double too. So oh, True. Another true. Big 10 so, stat of the day. Yeah, I think with race, it, it when you look at 
this team struggles. They've been containing ball screen, ball screen defense. Race helps in that area. And we've talked a lot about floor spacing on, on offense. And while he isn't a guy who's consistently knocking down threes, he's shown at least some ability to do that. Um, but I do, I agree with what Ryan said that he's, he's made some nice passes. I talked about the one, probably nobody heard it, but I did talk about the one, <laughs> the one pass that he made to just <laughs> to Justin cutting down the lane in a, in a key moment. And, and he, I thought he had some, some decent moves in the post. They weren't afraid as they were forcing the ball inside. They, they gave him some post up opportunities and he did all right as well. So, uh, yeah, that one feels, um, feels like a no brainer, but, uh, you know, you just want him to be healthy enough to be able to take on those minutes and, uh, hopefully prove us all right. Now, I think there's a lot of different directions that you could go with a third one. You know, I thought about Deron Davis. Obviously, you know, De- Devontae Green is the guy that kind of sets this team ceiling. And so certainly you want to put something for him. But I just like Devontae Green is just a roulette wheel, you know, so like asking, trying to predict anything with any level of consistency. Like, I think we just have to go with what Devontae gives us and kind of work around it. And if he's going to go for 25 points, you know, obviously Every time he does that, that's an opportunity for Indiana to get a big win. But it just it didn't kind of seem fair or even meaningful to put in this. Um, so I didn't really go that direction. To me, it comes back to Jerome Hunter because I think he's the other guy after Devontae that kind of has that offensive confidence that can really give this team another dimension. And so, you know, you look at Jerome, I, I think the thing is he's got to get going offensively and become a consistent score for this team again. The Maryland, Ohio State, and Purdue games, he averaged 10.3 points per game. And it really looked like he had kind of arrived offensively as a guy that you could count on for scoring off the bench. Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, he's been at two points per game. And just hasn't looked as in rhythm, hasn't looked quite as confident, quite as assertive. And so that's the other guy. You know, part of the reason I thought this team could always be better at the end of February and March and you know, be a pretty good team heading into the tournament if they got there, is I thought that this is when Jerome would start to hit his stride and give Indiana another dimension offensively. And we've seen it, but now if if we can get it consistently and he can be a guy that Indiana can really count on, that really adds another dimension. And so I think that's, you know, you start looking at what could make this team dangerous in March. If Jerome's a guy that can come off the bench and get you double figures, that's huge. Ryan, would you like to? Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely a, a, a solid one. I, th- I mine was just that he needed to get more minutes, and I think that it, with because I you're seeing Jerome Hunter do some things defensively that are great. He gets beat defensively sometimes, as you'd expect with a freshman. But last night he had a really incredible block where he rotated from the weak side over and, and blocked a Turu out of nowhere. Um, we've seen him have streaks of good offense, but I feel like he's hit a bit of a freshman wall the last couple games. I think he's. It's one of those things where you got to play the guy through that. You got to let him play through that. Uh, I think Penn State has got some great matchups for him, size wise, that he's going to get some clean looks. One of the problems that I, I've had with Jerome a little bit is that when he does step into a three, he likes to step into a three about three, four feet behind the three point line. Whereas I think that if he was moved in a little bit closer, it's an easier shot. He's obviously very confident in his shot, and so that's that's a positive. But at the same time. You know, make it easier on yourself. Move in a little bit. 
Um, and, and also I think that I'd like to see him work off the drive a little more because I think he can do it. I just think he hasn't done it this year. I'd like to see him if he gets isolated on the wing because of his size, he can go up and around guys uh, with that length and, and with the fact that he's you know a, a bigger guy off the wing. So those are the two things I, I think with him. I think he, he you're right. He has to get going offensively. And I think the key to that is to getting him those minutes that maybe he's not going to get if he's not performing as well. I think Archie may have to force some minutes through him just to get him more comfortable on the floor again. Yeah, I think the the minutes piece is what becomes interesting with him, because if you if you assume that that point number two is is followed and race gets more minutes, then you it really limits whatever amount of time you might play he and Justin at the same time by really going small. We haven't seen him used as a two guard, even though I think we've all been semi intrigued by what that might, might look like. So it really then becomes a, a, a place of how many minutes are realistic for him to get at the three um, with Justin out there. Do they split that down the middle? Do they do something else. I think that's where it becomes potentially challenging to figure out how to actually get him minutes. I don't necessarily disagree that he needs more time to get in the in the rhythm of the game and and like I said earlier I thought he played uh played really hard in the time that he was on the court uh against Minnesota. So, I'd like to see it. I just not not really even to play devil's advocate in the sense that it's not a good idea, just more to try to do the math and figure out where those minutes could potentially come from. All right, Andy, did you have some additional ones? Yeah, the, the only other one that I had that didn't fit in with, with what you said, although I guess it could could fit in with the guard play, was uh, try to bottle up that insistence on getting the ball inside that we saw last night. Um, again, we're not breaking new intellectual ground by saying this team is not a great outside shooting team and that they really need to, uh, their bread and butter needs to be getting the ball inside, getting fouled, things like that. Um, but that's something that's really come and gone at various points during the season. I thought last night was one of the one of the best games at least against reasonably good competition that they were most adamant about doing that and didn't deviate from it over the course of the game. So I think that's something that they have to figure out. They're definitely tough defensive matchups for that in the Big Ten. Uh, teams will make it difficult for them to be able to get there but I just thought the just insistence is kind of the, the best way that I could put it of really getting the ball inside, getting the ball to trace more specifically, uh, as Ryan said earlier in the show, um, it doesn't feel like you should be uh, having to tell people you need to get your best player the ball a whole lot more than you have been. But that was the focus last night, and I think that needs to be the focus going forward. If they can do that, this team will go as far as Trace can take them, uh, but they got to give him the opportunity. And he has to provide himself the opportunity. Archie talked about that after the game last night about sometimes he doesn't post hard enough and, and different things like that. I think if he continues to do that, they've got to continue to feed him and um, good things happen when he gets the gets the ball in the paint. You know, a lot of times it is going to make you an inherently inconsistent team when you are counting on a freshman to be <laughs> your rock. Understandable. And to, and, and to yep. be your leader, especially a freshman big man in a conference with this many good big men. Like it really is pretty remarkable the season that Trace is having given He's got to be the Big Ten freshman of the year. I'm I sorry. would certainly like, think so. I yeah, mean, in terms of what a guy means to his team guys, and just but, how good ugh. he's been, yeah, yeah, it's not. Now, close and and he can he can he can take it and run with it down the stretch here. You know, I mean, it's yeah. all there for the taking. So hopefully he will. Um, all right, one last point that I want to make here before we get out of this segment. You know, these last two games after the Michigan debacle and then obviously the big kind of unexpected win against Minnesota. 
There has been so much knee-jerk reaction about Archie Miller's job status and how hot his seat is. And, of course, all the John Beeline news getting sprinkled in there has just, like, yeah, made that, everybody that really, go That go poured nuts. gas on the fire, I think. Yes. And so I just want to say, like, to everybody, like, we love the passion. You know, and it's like you got the people after the Michigan game that are like, Archie's the worst. He's never going to get it done. Then after the Minnesota game, there's like people dunking on, you know, those people on Twitter, like, you know, as if that one game was a referendum on the Archie Miller era and everything's perfect now. Here's what I want to say. Everybody, just chill. Like, let's stop reacting so strongly to each data point, you know, because it's it's been a little bit up and down. It'll probably be up and down from here on out. So, you know, it's important to try and analyze each game, take the good with the bad, what did we learn, all of that, but then set it aside and let's save all the big macro reactions and discussions and decisions for the end of the season. Like it, the you know, the roller coaster of the team is one thing. The roller coaster at times of the fan base trying to extrapolate big decisions and statements from one game and then throw them in the face of other fans I just think we're kind of doing each other a disservice. So let's, we're all kind of pulling in the same direction here. We all want the same thing. I think for those kind of judgments and reactions, let's just save that stuff for the offseason and just try to be a little more even keel from game to game, especially with our public comments. You you guys, you realize that we're all rooting for the same team, right? Like it just sometimes doesn't feel like it. It's like we all want them to win. Like, how they get there, yeah, we can have discussions over that, but having fights over it is a little much. Well, and I think we've tended to, over the course of time, focus more on the the critiques from an in-game standpoint of what's been done, which I think we've we've done a lot of in terms of running the same lineups out and doing whatever. And I think by the same token, seeing some adjustments made uh, in the Minnesota game is fine, but it doesn't really, you know, he's not, even if the, well, there's not really a, a, you know, even if the new athletic director is named tomorrow, nothing's going to happen until the season is over. So to have some of those wider conversations about, oh, what, where would you, where might you turn? What is, the, what are the odds? I mean, that that's not even a, a, a potential reality at this point. So I, I'm, I'm more of the camp of let's try to critique what happens each game, see if we're seeing growth from the coach, growth from the team which for times this year, I don't feel like we have. And that, I think many people would agree with that. But I also don't know that when you take a little bit of a step back that you don't see some positive things. It just is, and we were talking about this during the break, th- this team over the last month or so, there have been very few games that weren't double digits or you know eight, nine point games one way or the other. So it lends itself to these wild swings where the team is either getting completely hammered or look like they're playing really well and they're probably not as bad as their lows and not as good as their highs, but we just haven't seen a whole lot of the games. There are only lows and highs. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, short of the Maryland game and the Michigan state game, those are really the only two that were very close within the last, you know, eight, 10 games or so. So you just don't, I, I think play like that shows how erratic the team is, but I think also leads to some of those, huge swings in emotion and feelings on the staff, the team, the, the way things are going, because you're just not, they're just not playing a ton of close games, which, um, you know, like it or not, is just the way that this team has, has played so far. And maybe that changes down the stretch. Yeah. Hey, look, 
and experience the emotions, like experience the joy of winning, experience the frustration of defeat. That's what we do on the show all the time. I'm just more talking about it takes the its calls. Soul on us. Let's be it real. does. It does. So I'm not. I don't want to be a hypocrite here. I'm just talking about more like the calls for a coach's job, or you know, even on the flip side, like you know, thinking that one win proves that everything is okay, and the people who are frustrated with the coach have no basis to be frustrated. Like. You know, everyone's got a point. Everyone's got a perspective. I just think there's probably a better way for us to communicate it with each other than some of the things that I see. So anyway, just something to keep in mind here as we go down the stretch for what surely is going to be a topsy-turvy final five games of the regular season than whatever ridiculousness the Big Ten tournament hands us this year. And then hopefully here's uh, see a tournament games. Here's a good summary for it to wrap it up. We beat Penn state on Sunday. You're 500 in the conference in the toughest conference in America. in one of the strongest years for that conference that we can remember. That's pretty good. I mean, it's not great. It's not where you want to be, but it's pretty good. And you're also 14 and three at home with one of those losses coming with just an utter collapse in the last minute where you really outplayed that team. So you have to put it all in perspective, two and six on the road, not where you want to be. Uh, 500 of the conference is not what you want to call a success, but given this year and given the roster problems that this team has, it's not that bad. And being 18 and nine looks a whole lot better than 17 and 10 and, and 18 and nine would be a really nice spot to be for this team. Given all the things it's been through, especially with injuries and things of that nature. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're welcome, Archie. <laughs> all right. Coming up in our third segment, we will answer your questions. The mediocre question of the week is back, so we will answer that. Uh, Plus, who would we want taking a last-second shot on this team? We'll debate that as well. Those questions and more stick with us here on The Assembly Call. Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of The Assembly Call. Thank you, Jordan. Welcome back to The Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Phillips uh, and and Ryan Bottoms. And remember that you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup even during the offseason and after every game. We send out a detailed post-game analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. All right, guys, time for the mailbag. All these questions submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community at assemblycall.com slash community, uh, except for the mediocre question of the week, which is submitted on Twitter five minutes before we went live. So just great timing there. Uh, but we're committed to this bit now because we have cool intro music, so we're going to answer the question anyway. So here we go, the mediocre question. It's not that good, but it's not that bad. It's Jay's Mediocre Question. Okay, so here is Jay's Mediocre Question. If there was one thing and one thing only that you could take from the Minnesota game and ensure that IU would do it in every game moving forward, what would it be? I would say that when Al Durham falls to the court awkwardly of his own volition that a foul gets called. (laughs) Get about four free fouls a game. (laughs) That would be amazing. Um, no, what, what would you guys say? Uh, I would say feeding the post consistently. I think that was the big takeaway. I, and I think there's one other answer and I think Andy's going to take it. 
uh, well, one would be taking better care of the basketball. I think the 10 turnovers that's was, was that's big. actually a good third one. Uh, maybe, maybe race, uh, forcing the opponent to shoot 16% from three point range. That would be good. Although I don't know again, how much of that is shot selection, uh, versus, versus defense. But, uh, yeah, that would be good. If you told me going into every game, your opponent was only going to shoot 16% from three. You feel, you feel okay. Take it. No, I, I think it's feeding the post, and, and there's one other possible answer, I believe, and that's just the defensive intensity was there for 40 minutes. I, I thought, you know, in the beginning a little bit, they were kind of feeling their way through a game, but that's common. Uh, I thought that defensively they rotated, they played hard, and I think that the that the the change in the hedge defense really helped them because it allowed them to recover quickly, and it, and it helped, you know, the rotations not get out of whack. And, you know, teams are getting 25, 30 points just from the rotations being out of whack from that from that hedge defense. I mean, Michigan scored, I think I determined about two fifths or almost half their points somewhere in there uh, from just from that hedge defense. And, and, you know, the change was, was smart. And I thought that it helped the team not get discouraged and kept, keep their intensity up. You know, a couple other directions that you could go in with this answer. One would be play small more because that was obviously big for Indiana. And, And I'll tell you one, I mean, I mean, if we're talking about one thing that you could take in every game moving forward, trace to believe he's the best player on the court that's huge and that was a big part you know that kind of goes along with feeding the post that you know we pin that on the guards a lot but it also makes a difference if those big guys are in there given a target really demanding the ball and being assertive with it when they get it and trace had so much confidence that we haven't seen from him much on the road and if he can bring that to Mackey arena or illinois indiana's gonna have a chance in those games really you know i mean that's he is so important to what this team does um and obviously you know the other home games as well so all the ones that you guys said are important uh but i think that one would be a good one as well uh okay next question this is from matt if we have to make a shot in our final game to win and make the tournament for the first time in years who on this team do you want to take it well here i I, are we going to go with a three-point shot or just any shot anywhere on the floor he just said okay if we have to make a shot in our final game to win and make the tournament for the first time in years who on this team do you want to take it Oof, that's tough so i think last year fantasy would have been everyone's answer and if it's catch and shoot fantasy would be a good answer but here's what i'd say just from the context clue of the question where he says to make a final shot to make the tournament for the first time in years, I would give it to Devonte because he's the best yeah. shot maker on the team, and it would be his opportunity to not go down in infamy of being a four-year senior that didn't make the tournament for the first time in fifty years. He and Duran. So I would say, let's give it to Devonte. You make it. We're going to the tournament. You know, you miss it. We don't. That's that's where I would go. With yeah, it. if it's a catch and shoot opportunity, I'd say Devonte. If it's off the dribble, definitely not Devonte. Um, that's true. Uh, I, I, but if it's just any shot on the floor, I think you put the ball in your best player's hands. Like, even though he's a freshman, I give it to trace. If it's, if it's anywhere, if we're talking anywhere on the floor, I throw it into the post to trace and let him go to work. That, that is my, and if it wasn't trace, it'd be Duran in the post somewhere. Um, uh, just cause I think they're the best finishers on the team or, or the best, you know, in that position working one-on-one, but if it's a catch and shoot opportunity, it's Devonte. It has to be. I don't know. Duran from like 18 feet might actually be our most right? reliable Automatic. shot. <laughs> uh, the shot he took last night would suggest otherwise. But Yes, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> but he had to take it after the last couple yeah. games. So. Yeah, I'm not saying it was a bad shot. The it, it's From a process standpoint, the result was poor, but the process is, was okay. Is well, he was due for a bad one. We all have some bad ones every now and then. Uh, from Jim Tom Hoosier, if Trace plays this way the rest of the season do you think he might surprise everyone and go pro 
He's basically already said uh, that he's going to come back. Um, question so, was: Is Trace on a two-year plan, Ryan? That is basically that's the, according that's to ultimately the, man's, the question. According to the man's own statement, yes. <laughs> so. And Ryan has confirmed with sources that it is true. No, the source is Trace. <laughs> I think it makes the most sense because I think he has a lot to work on as far as his NBA game goes. Given now, if he goes size, twenty-seven and sixteen every night out, I mean. It, could potentially but in the change NBA, the equation not, a little he, bit. But. but he has to know that that performance is not going to fly in the NBA because he's not going to play the five yeah, in but, the NBA. But the NBA also isn't stupid. Like, if they project him to be able to shoot, like, they might say, let's get this guy and work with him for a couple years. Yeah, it's, you know? that's possible. But, but here's the deal with the NBA. The way the game is going, you have to already have that three-point shot somewhere in your bag if you're going to be Trace's size and and be a flexible player. And he's shown that he can guard out on the perimeter a little bit. He clearly needs to learn. I mean, even though he he's had long jumpers go in, the form on that long jumper is not good. The form on his free throw shots is a little stunted. I think yeah. he's done okay as a free throw shooter, but they project free throw shooting as the key to whether or not you're ever going to be able to make a three. And his shot kind of stops in the middle and has a hitch in it. He needs to iron those things out before he shoots. In my opinion, 70.5% from free throws from the free throw. And so, which is really good. and so my, my opinion would be is that the thing is, yeah, if he'll get drafted, if he goes to the pros, that's not a question. And Hey, he might even sneak into the back of the first round. If he wants to be a mid first round pick or a guy that is somebody people have to reckon with in the draft and, and take highly, yeah, I think he's got to come back. Yeah. No, and look, he already said that he is, so I think we should just take him at his word until you hear something else. Um, Andy, last question that we'll probably have time for here. Um, why do you think Archie sticks with the same lineups each game and to start the second half? Uh, it seems like Ray should have started. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen that from him over the first few years of his his tenure that he gets a group and he, he tends to stick with it. I thought last night was a good step in the right direction in the sense that he didn't ride it out too long to try to see if things would turn around. I thought he did the in same either thing half halves with, with Joey. So that part's good, but he just seems to be a creature of habit. Yep. Okay. We will hit the rest of the questions on the podcast. Uh, that will have to do it for us on this week's episode of the assembly call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording and don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text iu to 66866 to join our free email newsletter special thanks to bob thompson for producing a lot of the music that you hear on the show and thank you for listening we will talk to you again on sunday afternoon after iu penn state until then take it from me robert johnson keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim and go hoosiers Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Can your mom bring some tiramisu? <laughs> oh, can she? Uh, okay. Let's just, there's a few other good questions. Uh, let me, can... let me do one question that I got to go because I have a work thing popping up so I can answer one. Let's pick one for me. Oh boy. Man, this is a lot pick of a good one. Um, uh, okay. Uh, your thoughts on the transfer rules. Cause Sally asked a question about the transfer rules. <clears throat> I think it's smart. I think I think it works. I think it's unfair that all that only five NCAA sports face a punishment. It's men's ice hockey, uh, women's basketball, men's basketball, football, and I'm um, and baseball. Baseball are, yeah. are the only ones where you have to sit out of here if you transfer. And the current system is broken where you can apply for a waiver to play early, and it seems really arbitrary who gets approved and not approved. I think it's something like one third of athletes transfer. Uh, 
when kids go on these visits and I know people say, well, you made a commitment. Well, when kids go on these visits, they're sold a bill of goods that not, isn't necessarily what real life is at these campuses. Kids also transfer, have family things pop up with, or, 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 or commit, have family things pop up, need to go home. They run into experiences. I remember one kid last year at Florida, his roommate uh, was, had sexually assaulted a girl. And, and he wanted to transfer and Florida wouldn't let him transfer. And then he finally trans, he finally got to transfer. Uh, and then the news came out about that guy. It's like, you know what? Just let the kids transfer one time. I agree that we, it, it, it's, it, you know, people are saying it's going to create free agency or whatever. Well, how about this? Treat your student athletes well, and they won't want to leave. I mean, it's, I, I really think that that is the, the biggest aspect of this is that if kids are happy on campus, even if they're not playing well, even if they're not getting great playing time, whatever, but if they're happy on campus and feel taken care of and treated well and are doing well academically and, and the right things are, are, prof- you know, are, are in place at each school, the, the idea that they're going to transfer is lower and lower. And by the way, if a kid isn't playing much and wants to go somewhere where he's going to play more, more power to him. I, I think that if the coach isn't taking advantage of, of the athlete he has, then yeah, I think these kids should have an opportunity to transfer. I agree. There are unforeseen consequences that are going to happen. Let's let these kids do this and then deal with it later. The NCAA takes advantage of kids in so many ways. I think this is an, this is the least they can do as far as a concession goes is let kids who are unhappy at the school they picked go to a different place and, and, and pursue happiness and, and trying to be, you know, in a better situation. So that's my thoughts on it. I think it's fine. Um, especially now because the current process is broken where everybody applies for a waiver to play immediately and there's no rhyme or reason who gets accepted. So, you know, I get it. If a coach leaves, they're typically going to get accepted. Um, but right now it, it just seems it's, well, I want to be closer to my family. Well, no, we don't, we, we think you should sit out a year. No, we think this, we, it's just, it's, it's nutty the way this, the, yeah, you've got to either have like a, a set. A set yeah, there's just no transparency in it now. So they set yeah, themselves up to be second guest. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, I, I think that honestly, with the way it's developed now, I just think this is the right thing to do. And you're starting to see conferences back it too, because they understand it's the right thing to do. Uh, the Big Ten and the ACC have both come out and said it's right. I think the MAC came out and said that they're going to pass something that lets guys transfer. Uh, I understand some coaches will hate it. Uh, I understand some athletic departments will hate it. But you know what? Uh, anything that's better for student athletes, I think we should be pursuing because everybody else seems to get uh, the big benefit of of athletics. But the student athletes are the ones that are held back a little. So anything to make those kids' lives a little easier. Yeah, uh, you know, Sally actually used the example of softball and how, you know, it's not just kind of lower tier players transferring. It's a lot of high profile players transferring and even saying they want to do it to, you know, try to get to a, you know, a college world series. And we'll probably see that, you know, guys will transfer to a Kansas or to a Kentucky, you know, but that's, you know, it's the first thing you have to figure out is, is it right? And is it fair? And you do that. And, you know, if there are, like you said, there's going to be some collateral damage. I don't there think is. it's going to 100%. destroy college basketball, like some people say. Yeah. So, I mean, is there, I mean, the transfer you know, it's right portal and fair is... for the players? So, let's do it, figure it out. Maybe something has to be tweaked later on because everybody's like, okay, yeah. this is a total disaster. Let's figure that out. But I think this, this is a good step in the right direction. I mean, people are entering the transfer portal and staying now. I mean, you know, like tons of people enter the transfer portal in football and basketball after the season. And then a lot, you know, a lot end up staying, a lot end up transferring. I mean, it's already there. We're already there. Um, I just don't see the point in punishing. And by the way, 
as far as basketball goes, that in some ways it helps the coaches because then you can reload with another player that you think fits your system better. Um, but I know some coaches at mid-majors aren't going to like that because their guys are going to trade up to big conference schools and stuff. But that's already happening. Any guards? Uh, with the, with <laughs> any, the grad transfer with the grad transfer rule, it's already happening. So I, I just think that that people who are uh, anti this this change, I, I just think that there are a lot of good reasons to do it and very few bad reasons. And again, if it if it turns into a complete mess, they can always go back on it. You know, they can always alter it, fix it, change it. But it's worth it. It's worth trying at this point. Yeah. All right, guys, I'm out. All right, thank you. He gone. I will see you. You know, I mean, if if Jalen Crutcher wants to play for a Dayton coach that actually, you know, had several seasons of nice. success, nice. come come to Indiana, Jalen, play for Archie. Um, all right, Andy, let's run through these last questions here. Uh, Alex says with Trace coming back, so he's just assuming that Trace will be back, which is what Trace said. So that's a good assumption. This year is looking like a great year of preparation for a title run next year. He says I might be slightly aggressive there. Eh. Uh, <laughs> see what happens with the transfers. Maybe, perhaps more than slightly, <laughs> but all right. <laughs> How do you expect Archie to wait playing time for the underclassmen moving forward to get them reps in Big Ten action? Can this be done while also not giving up on the season? I I really thought last night was a good a good formula in that way. Maybe you want to try to find a, a few more minutes for Jerome. He only played eleven minutes, um, but I thought it was a good balance of you you put guys in a position to be able to win the game in by doing so you played race more who would if if next season is going to be anywhere near as good as the uh as the question intimates then and good you, good you, lord let's hope so <laughs> yeah then he's going to be a big part of that you're continuing to get armand some spot minutes get him a little bit of experience but not overloading him uh with, with too many and and Jerome is really the other guy. If you're really thinking about young guys that you want to get more playing time for, I think that's the one that was a little bit of a struggle, uh, at least trying to find minutes for. And I think that goes back to some of the comments I made earlier, where it, it just gets a little bit tough um, to to try to figure out how to do that, unless you really want to play small. And if you really want to do that, then you're not given race as many minutes, and you've got to really phase out, you know, really one of Brunk or, or Davis in order to do that, or start playing Jerome at, at guard. Um, so I, I thought last night was a reasonably good formula to be able to do that. It, you know, at this point, you're really in no position to be able to give up on the season. You got to do whatever you think is giving you the best chance to win games. Um, and and I think you see that in him turning back to a guy like Duran, who's who's played well and responded in these situations as a uh, as a senior, and and certainly a guy that if you're playing for next year, you'd have every reason not to give a ton of minutes to. But he's generally played well over these last uh, handful of games and, and responded to that situation. So I think they're actually doing a relatively good job of that so far. I agree. That was any, you said everything I was going to say. Um, Adam says, do you guys have any info on the latest recruiting efforts? Arch and the staff have made, saw something about a five-star planning a visit. That is Aminu Muhammad, uh, who is planning an official visit. Anything else notable going on recruiting wise? That's kind of the main one. Um, obviously, there's a lot going on with you know the guys in the state of Indiana, Trey Kaufman, who Indiana's been seeing a lot, and all you know all the guys in that class. Rob said also thought there was a possibility that a 2021 candidate may reclassify, like Race did. Uh, forgot the name, but it was a guard. So you've got Carter Witt from North Carolina that has talked about reclassifying, hasn't made a final decision yet. Uh, Christian Lander, you know, there's been talk of that, but no final decision there. So. 
you know, it's all just kind of up in the air. Those are some of the guys that they've been involved with. Uh, obviously, First and Wesley and Lander and Kaufman are all really important recruits in the state of Indiana. You certainly need to get at least one of those guys. If you can get two of them, you would feel ecstatic. Um, but, you know, uh, and with a guy like Muhammad, who's a five-star, get he's got to get on campus first, and then you kind of start taking that seriously. So I have there's hasn't been like any real big news or big movement on any of those, but those are some of the names to keep an eye on. Yeah, you're you're more up on that than me, so I, I got nothing to add. Um, let's see. Patrick said a couple rematches this week. Any specific adjustments IU needs to make for Penn State or Purdue, respectively? But we talked about Penn State. Um, we won't have another assembly call radio before the Purdue. When do we play Purdue? What day it's is that? Middle of next week. I think it's is it Wednesday? Next Wednesday. No, it's Thursday. Oh, it wow. is next Thursday. Yeah. Look at that. Another assembly call radio wiped off the schedule. Um, yeah, so, I mean, any any specific adjustments that we should use against Purdue other than, you know, play really hard and <laughs> play confident? Yeah. I mean, as you look at, at the stats for both games, and we touched a little bit on turnovers in the Penn State game, and those are both games. Turnovers at the end of the first half really swung that Purdue game in the other direction, so... I don't know if that's an adjustment. Um, you shouldn't be adjusting to say, don't give the other team the ball, but uh, taking better care of the basketball will be one. Uh, the Purdue game in particular, IU settled for a ton of threes. They're three point, they, over 40% of their attempts were from three. That is not a, a, a good formula for this team. And really neither in neither game um, did IU get to the free throw line regularly enough. Um, I, I would assume you'd continue to see some of the same changes to ball screen coverage and, uh, and things like that. I think we talked with Penn State that race would be a decent matchup for that. I think he's a decent matchup for Purdue if they were going to play a guy like Wheeler, who they try to use to stretch the floor. And then you you give Duran some minutes when Travion Williams is in the game, or um, some of those kinds of scenarios. So uh, those are the few, at least statistical things that jump out to me that probably need to swing in a different direction if they're uh, if they're going to have a better outcome. Yes, I would agree. Uh, JD said after the game, coach was asked about his change in defense regarding not having such high hedges and the success it seemed to have on defensive stops, which we discussed earlier. He got visibly irritated by the question, answered that it depended on the opposing team. Sure hasn't seemed like he ever changed it up before. You know, I think he got like slightly irritated. He was also kind of having fun with it, especially when Rab Johns asked him and then he said that he was going to teach Rab Johns how to hedge ball screens, which if Archie was going to run a clinic on like ball screen defense and how to do a hedge, I would love to be there for that. It would be great to see how that was taught. Um, you know, look, I think, I think Archie's always probably going to be a little bit irascible whenever someone asks him a question and it's, you know, the basis of it is you went away from your principles. Like, I just think Archie is so committed to the way that he sees basketball and teaches basketball that even talking about adjusting is like hard for him to say the words. So I thought he was kind of having fun with it and good natured, but I think that's just that's just kind of his personality. I mean, that's why that that's why he got the nickname Archie anyway. It was you know from if, for those who don't remember that story from back when he was hired, it was after Archie Bunker because he was kind of an ornery little kid, and he's kind of an ornery coach, you know. So you know, but he did adjust, and that was important. And hopefully, we continue to see some adjustments. You know, I think you have to be able to have your principles, have your system, but you know, tweak it where you need to from game to game. So, yeah, and maybe would, even make agree. a macro tweak gener- every now and then if you really don't have the roster to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I do think 
you know, the, the question about doesn't seem like he's changed up before. It's definitely been rare. I know we talked about the end of the Michigan State game where they they switched uh, on that final possession and that ended up being, uh, you know, thrown out of Michigan State off a little bit. So he's done that occasionally in very specific situations. But I think from a full game, hey, we're really changing something up. And um, I think the flip side that a lot of people would give is, well, why did it take so long? Because that's been an issue for a little while. I think that's fair. Uh, criticism in that regard, but um, you know, potentially it's just better late than never, and um, you go on from there. But uh, it, it's good to see the adjustment. That was one of the big takeaways for me was being able to, yeah, you know, kind of make some of the adjustments that felt like needed to be made in prior games. So positive. A uh, couple more here. JD says, what do the advanced metrics say about Justin's defense this season? It seems to me that he's been playing very well on that end for most of the season with the exception of Michigan and one or two other games. Do my eyes deceive me? Uh, so I looked this up and like in terms of synergy numbers, which essentially give you the stats for when the guy, Justin is the guy, a player is guarding like ends the possession so in 175 possessions where Justin's man has ended the possession either with a turnover or a shot or getting fouled, uh, he's given up 0.77 points per possession, which is in the 67th percentile. So they they classify that as very good. So it's you know it's solid. Um, he's been good against spot up shooters, which means you know that for the most part he's probably closing out pretty well. He's been below average against pick and rolls, average off screens. And in not many isolation situations, he's been um, he's been good. Now transition isn't in there, uh, and that's obviously a big part of it. And we saw you know the impact that he could have in transition with the block. But I would say the other advanced metric to look at is you know steal percentage and block percentage. Uh, and those numbers, you know, they just they haven't seemed as good for him. His block percentage one point four percent, his steal percentage one point nine percent. That block percentage is the lowest of his career. Uh, the steal percentage is the highest. But if you look at that, a lot of those steals came in November. He had at least one steal in every game in November, uh, had uh, three in three games. Justin has had has not had a steal in the last four games. He had two against Ohio State and then had one steal against Michigan State in the five yeah. games prior. So he's had yeah, three steals in the last like 12 games. Yeah, I would say eight since the first of the year. So for a guy with his length and athleticism, you want to see more of those disruptive numbers. You know, by way of contrast, Race Thompson, and we've talked about this before, his block percentage is 5.9, his steal percentage is 2.9. Those are great numbers, you know, to have to, to have good percentages of both of them. I don't really see a reason why Justin's couldn't be that high. So, like, I think if you're just talking about, like, guarding a man, Justin can be pretty, you know, pretty good at it. And I think, you know, in terms of his intelligence as a help defender is usually pretty good when he's kind of locked in and engaged and, you know, moving at full speed. Uh, but I think what you would like to see from him is more disruption. And especially for a guy who is that good in transition, more blocks, more steals help give you transition opportunities. So it would really seem to fit in with what he does the best. So I would say it's a mixed bag with him defensively. Yep. I, I would agree. And then the other question, and I did not have time to do research on this, is I how... Say, I know which one you're talking about. I didn't, I didn't look at it either. It'd yeah, be a good how, question maybe for next week or somewhere where we got time to... Yeah, I'll just... Yeah, JD asked, how do Trace's numbers this season compare to other historical freshman seasons from IU history? So I'm going to go out on a limb and say favorably, um, but I'll keep this on the run sheet and we'll do it next time. Like, 
you know, the guys I think that you would want to look at would be, you know, Zeller's freshman year, Thomas Bryant's freshman year, Jared Jeffrey's freshman year, um, Noah Vonley's freshman year. Who's been some other really impact freshman big guys? I mean, I'd even be curious about like Alan Henderson, somebody like that, if you uh-huh. go back a little bit further. It's always fun going through those uh yeah, those old seasons. Now, you know, Trace obviously is much more of a focal point on on a team like this than Allen was. So you always have to look at right. the context. Yeah, that makes me. That's that's kind of why I was curious to see just the you know the role yeah. that guys are been have been put in. Yeah. So really good question, JD. I will keep it on the run sheet, and we will answer it in a much better way with some actual research uh, the next time we do Assembly Call Radio, which will be in two weeks, obviously, since next week is the Purdue game. Which hopefully is a lot better than the first Purdue game. Let's hope so. Can't hope can't so. get a lot worse. No, can't get a lot worse. So hopefully no. it is. From a right. strictly basketball standpoint, no, it can. Yes, but first things first. Sunday, big opportunity. Where have you? I'm assuming you haven't done a bracket update since the Minnesota game. Like how how far up do you think that bumped Indiana or could bump uh, Indiana since it was? A I had one? them. Ryan asked me. I think some point before the show. I think. I think when I did it Monday night, they were the first 11 seed, so they'd probably be maybe a spot or two up the seed list. So as a 10, kind of middle of the road, 10 seed, I would say. I, I just don't think they're as close to out as a, a lot of, as it seems other people have them when you really look at other bubble teams and how they've generally played over the course of the week. But I think it's easy to look at how they've played of late, even though the you know last 10, 12 games don't matter any more than the rest. Like it's easy to see that and, and to say, Hey, they've had a lot of opportunities. Their record against, you know, quad one, isn't that great. Even though they've amassed some wins, they've also had a ton of chances, which you could say about a lot of teams in the big 10, quite frankly. Um, so I think the fact that they don't really have a bad loss, uh, a loss outside of, you know, quad two, I think is, is, is positive compared to some other teams. And, um, getting the road win was pretty big. You just having at least four wins away from home is, is not great by any means, but, but it's not, you know, one like Rutgers as an example. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's hope that we can add another, another big victory on Sunday with Penn state, start to move that net up, which is yes, continuing to so. languish down there. That would obviously help. But uh, yeah, we'll be here after the Penn State game. We will talk to you all then. All right, cool. Thanks, everybody. See you all. See you, Andy. See you. <coughs> oh, man. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 